This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast is sponsored in part by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Better yet, Keeping Carlson listeners save $20 off their first purchase by entering the promo code KEEPING at checkout. SeatGeek, the better way to buy tickets. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. One of them still owns Eric Carlson in their keeper pool. That's me. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Elon, we just got to spend a bit of the weekend together with some of our listeners, too. Thanks to everyone who came out to the party. To everyone who didn't, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Anyway, I got home. I got back to Ottawa. I've been working on the show ever since. I am ready to go with the latest hockey news and analysis for your fantasy team. All right. Yes, we've got a really big show ahead. A lot of players to discuss. I think same deal as last week, right? It's still too early to go really deep in analysis on these guys. We don't have a lot of data. So I'm just going to give you a bunch of names of players that I think are either doing well or not doing well. And Brian will give his takes on whether you should be holding on to these guys, adding them, dropping them. We are, we are now, unfortunately, getting into injury and out jury territory. We have to talk about these injured players. Before we get to everything, let's mention we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's your source for fantasy news, line combinations, starting goalies, Everything you need. It was my source for line combinations to prepare for this show. Whenever you hear me referencing line combinations during this episode, you'll know where I got the info. It's from Frozen Pools, Dabber Hockey. Great site. Check it out, DabberHockey.com, FrozenPools.com, GoaliePost.com. They're all great. Brian, let's get started. Let's start the show on a team that I feel like we've probably never started an episode of Keeping Carlson with. Maybe when Taylor Hall got traded, we talked about the New Jersey Devils to start the show. But usually they're a team that people aren't too interested in. But I started the show yelling, Jesper Bratt's name. Let's talk about his team. So we've got some outjuries. That's the first fantasy hockey headline of the week. We'll get into some of these outjuries. Kyle Palmieri returned after missing a game. And then Drew Stafford came back into the lineup yesterday for the 3-2 win over the Rangers. So they're starting to get fully healthy. Palmieri came back earlier in the week. He did nothing against Toronto. Then he had a goal and an assist versus Washington. And then nothing versus the Rangers yesterday. Still, he's getting you know right back to his good deployment. Should probably be on track for the approximately 55 points most were projecting him for. I don't know if there's really much to say about Kyle Palmieri. The more interesting one to me, and the guy who always tell me I there's no reason why I should bring him up because he's a big nobody, but I got to do it. Drew Stafford came back 
scored a goal yesterday, saw a good amount of power play time. Like I said, I know I always ask about Stafford and you always shoot me down, but I feel like if people were jumping on Jesper Bratt, would you say Stafford is similar? Obviously in a one-year league, in a keeper league is a whole other story. If you recall, last week we talked about how Bratt had gotten on that Hall and Zaka line and he did really great. And then when Palmieri came back, Bratt got bumped to play with Hishir and Johansson. So I was worried with Kyle Palmieri coming back that Jesper Bratt would get bumped to the bottom six. But no, he still got to hold on for a couple of games. But now with Stafford back, Bratt could be a bottom six guy and maybe droppable. He has zero points also in his last two games, only one shot on goal. The lines yesterday were kind of weird because both Zaka and Johansson got really low minutes due to some like giveaways and bad penalties and the coach wanted to teach him a lesson. But my current guess is they're going to go with some combo of like Hall, Hishir, Palmieri, Johansson, Zaka, Stafford. That seems to me like the top six, which doesn't leave a spot for Jesper Bratt. So I guess my question is, Brian, do you think that people should just forget about Jesper Bratt at this time? Do you think they should start thinking about Drew Stafford as a potential streamer? Is either of them worth considering? And then also maybe you could share if you have any concerns about this benching of Johansson and Zaka for most of the game. So I don't know that I would agree with you saying, well, a couple things about your whole Stafford thing. The first, I, I, I don't think I would agree saying that Stafford is similar to Brad. At least not if Brad continues to put up these low shots on goal counts. Uh, you'll recall Brad had scored on each of his first three shots this year, but has now failed to score in the two shots he's put on goal over the last three games played. Drew Stafford, meanwhile, is good for a couple shots a game and 45 to 50 points in good deployment with runs that can be better in really good deployment, which it looks like he has for the moment in New Jersey. And I don't think I shoot you down on Drew Stafford. I just temper expectations that he's not going to suddenly become a 65-point player because he moves teams and ends up on a top line or top power play situation. If you're in a deep league, I like the thought of having Stafford to get you some shots on goal at least, and some deployment should get a couple points going his way, especially over Brat. And I'm also not wringing my hands over any concerns that anyone might have preemptively about Pavel Zaka and Marcus Johansson being taught a lesson last game. Johansson played what, less than five minutes? Yeah, obviously he made a mistake. I think it was a giveaway that led to a goal. I think Zaka was like a penalty on Friday. I don't know, whatever. I think the whole point is they were meant to be taught a lesson. Hopefully they learned their lesson. And that's the whole point of lessons, right? That's why you always don't give the puck away. Okay, Uh, since we're on New Jersey, let's mention Will Butcher, who we were, I guess, a little lukewarm on last episode, and maybe incorrectly, he had two assists yesterday, is now up to eight assists in five games on the season, five on the power play. I'm only saying assists because he doesn't have any goals, he hardly takes any shots, but who cares if he's giving you all these assists and power play points? Like I said last week, I don't believe we were especially enthusiastic about his hot start. Has that changed at all at this point? Is he now a must-add if he wasn't last week, if he's still available? Lukewarm was our reaction last week to his start, and we ended up by saying, well, he seems like a better option than Severson for whatever that might be worth. Are we getting a better idea of what that's worth? Here's the thing. I don't know that there's a power play quarterback on the first unit in the league that I would drop in favor of Will Butcher. Elon, maybe you could look to Vancouver. We're going to get there later. Maybe you drop that guy, whoever it is. I don't know who it is. And in in Vegas as well, it could be Theodore whenever he gets called up. But aside from situations that are in flux, there's no power play quarterback I would drop for Will Butcher. But if you are looking to improve your special team situation and you have a defenseman on your roster that's not on that top power play unit, then Will Butcher could be helpful for you. The Devils have scored six power play goals on 22 opportunities. That's a 27% conversion rate that, of course, will drop. But Butcher has assisted on five 
of those six power play goals. So it looks like he's the guy at the moment. And I'm still hoping he can provide more than Severson did in the same spot in previous years. Keep in mind, like you said, Elon, Will Butcher will not help you much elsewhere. Only four shots on goal in five games, and you can only add one hit and five blocks to those peripheral numbers. His ice time is still fluctuating a bit too, but if you want to take a dice roll on some power play points, almost like a Nick Letty light, perhaps. Brian, you just stole my feather. I was just about to ask you when you said there's no first power play defenseman that you would drop for Will Butcher. I was just about to ask you, what about Nick Letty? If you've got him, he's got one assist in five games, nine shots. So obviously a few more shots, but it's not like he's blowing away that category. I think I would drop Letty for Butcher at this point. Maybe maybe that's crazy. I think that's crazy. I wouldn't want to do it. You could. You could. But Letty's at least getting you one or two shots per game, which Butcher is not yet getting you. Although Letty, I mentioned him because he's a guy who, if he's not getting you any points, then he's likely not helping you in any other categories, which is essentially the equal to Will Butcher. I'm not sure I'd prefer one over the other. It's a pretty good comparison. Shots, lots. Like shots are good, all else equal, but I would definitely take the guy giving me eight assists and five power play points over the guy doing nothing. But of course, that's the past. Nick Letty's still on that top power play with Tavares. Hopefully they could get something going. Maybe you're right. We'll have to check back in on Letty versus Butcher moving forward. Yeah, if I can have the guy playing on the Islanders power play or the guy playing on the Devils power play, I will take the guy on the Islanders power play. Rob here in the live chat is asking versus Severson. Obviously, Butcher over Severson because he's the guy getting that great deployment. I'm not even going to go to you, Brian, to ask that. That's obvious. Okay, I don't know why I just dressed down Rob. That was a good question. Thank you. Okay, by the way, I don't know. People probably didn't get it. I was making an Arrested Development uh, reference before, Brian. I thought you would laugh. Anyway. I got it. I love it. Let's now go to another outchery. Patrick Hornquist is back for the Pittsburgh Penguins. At first, it appeared from like practice lines that Jake Gensel would stick on the top power play and Hornquist wouldn't take his spot, but that hasn't been the case. Gensel has been bumped by either Hornquist or at times Justin Schultz has been a second defenseman on that power play. Either way, Gensel's been bumped to power play too, which is not great for him. So watch. I still like Gensel. He's still on the top line with Sidney Crosby, but you know, I really lo- I loved him on the top power play. Now I like him a little less. Anyway, Back to Hornquist, he had a goal and an assist versus Washington, and then nothing versus Tampa Bay, and had a goal yesterday versus Florida. So three points in three games since his return. Like I said, he's been seeing some top power play time, but he's also been bumped from the top power play himself, so it's hard to know what kind of consistent deployment he'll get there. And then at even strength, he's been on a, like a sad line three with Carl Hagelin and Greg McKegg, which normally you don't want to jump on a guy who's playing with those line mates. I'm curious, Brian, I guess if you're in a league with hits, and shots, he's valuable. But just in terms of like points, like, like or like a cupful, which doesn't count hits, but it does count shots and points. Would you add Patrick Hornfist if he was dropped as a free agent and he was available for you? And there, I should just point out he might be facing a suspension for a hit on Colton Sevier yesterday. So that's something to consider. But forgetting about that, is Hornfist someone you'd be interested in, even though he's not in the top six right now? If you're interested in Brian Rust in for his turns in the top six, and I think you're interested in Patrick Hornfist too. He has a similar chance, as does Russ, that he bounces around the depth chart in and out of favorable deployment. And of course, Hornquist is still very capable of taking advantage of favorable deployment. Better than Rust, I'd say, when he does get those turns. But I wouldn't want much to do with him if he's not in the top six or and or the top power play. So I don't think you need to rush to add him. Just be ready to add him when you see him jump up the depth chart and then drop him again once he falls back down. 
Well, speaking of Brian Rust, it's not as if he's been bumped himself. Like, even though actually Connor Sheary has gotten back on the Crosby line, which is great for him. And I might need to actually apologize to some listeners because I guess last week I was pretty down on Connor Sheary getting bumped to the bottom six. But maybe I should have assumed that he'll get another run there. And he already has. And he now has a three-game point streak going. So, yeah, sorry if we convinced anyone to drop him last week. If he's in free agency right now, I feel like people need to jump on him. Maybe you'll let me know if I'm wrong. But yeah, so it's been Crosby, Gensel, and Shiri on line one, at least in the last game. And then Kessel with Malkin and Brian Rust. So Brian Rust still stays in the top six, still in a relevant spot. And he's been great, right? Eight points in six games so far. Not that I'm saying I think he's going to keep that up. But he's not getting power play time. But I don't know. It's an interesting question, Rust versus Hornquist, especially in a points-only league. I feel like there's a good argument to be made for Brian Rust, considering Hornquist hasn't even been on the top power play the whole time. He's just been there sometimes. So I guess, Brian, I'm curious to know, what's your take now between like Rust you already said you like Hornfist more than Rust, or maybe they're equal. I'd say Connor Sheary's in that conversation. Between the three, who do you like the best at this point? Uh, this is like an entire season of the show it is going to be dedicated to Rust Hornfist Sheary. Which guy is on the top line? Who's out of the top? Who's out of the top six? One weird, but not really weird thing about Connor Sheary, and I'm just trying to find something to say about him, is that of his four points, only one of them has come with Crosby picking up a point on the same play. That was last night when Latang also picked up an assist on Shiri's goal. The other point getters on goals that Shiri has scored or assisted on this year, Chad Ruedel, Greg McCaig, Brian Rust, Oli Mata, Justin Schultz, and Antti Niemi. I'm not sure what this means, other than that he's been scoring away from Crosby at a so-so pace, which is about what we'd expect. But what are you going to do with him when he gets that top six deployment? You're going to want to add him just as you would Hornquist, just as you would Rust. Elon, I would like to just make a statement that will last for the rest of the season right now. Can I do that? I mean, I don't see how you could say something now that's going to apply for the whole entire season, but let's hear what it is. Whoever is playing in the Penguins top six, you can add. Oh, okay. Well, so then not Patrick Hornquist right now. Yes. And then you can wait on whoever's not in the top six. You can drop. Well, except that someone else might add them and then you might not get the chance again. So I don't know. Connor Sheary had almost a 70-point pace last year. It's really hard to say, but fine. I get I get what you're saying. We're probably going to be revisiting this a bit throughout the season. Right now, the situation, right, it's in flux. It's hard to know. It's hard to say which of these three are the one you're going to want. Also, look, Hornquist getting the power play. It's a, whole, it's a whole complicated thing. So let's just move on to another team. Let's talk about the LA Kings and another outjury there. Alec Martinez returned yesterday. And that was his first game of the year. And he very quickly bumped Jake Muzzin from the top power play. We'll see if that changes today. But I mean, I don't think it will. LA has been doing really well. Martinez scored a power play goal, took two shots, had a hit, a couple blocks in the 4-2 win over Buffalo yesterday. Of course, it was over Buffalo. So let's see how he could do against maybe a bit more challenging opponents. But overall, Alec Martinez, I wonder, Brian, do you think he can repeat his 39 points from last year with like very nice peripherals, great hits and blocks? Like He was really valuable last year, but a lot of it was because he really had a career year in terms of points. It seems like the Kings like him. Like I thought maybe going into the year that Jake Muzzin had taken the job back from Martinez last year to share the top power play duties with Dowdy, but it seems like Alec Martinez once again starts the year on that top unit. So it's tough to know. Like I kind of would be curious to know who you would like between Martinez and Jake Muzzin at this point. I'm sure a lot of people drafted Muzzin in their leagues. Muzzin's been good. He has three straight one assist games. He has 12 shots in four games overall, five hits, five blocks in again, like four games. That's okay. Like who would you prefer between these two guys? This is another question that is like three years old at this point. And my answer is going to be a situational answer as well. Just like the Penguins take the guy who's playing in the top six in LA, I'll take the guy playing on the top power play unit. Mind you, 
Last year, Alec Martinez did score more points, 11 more to be exact, including six on the power play, without being on the top power play unit for a sizable chunk of the year. The Kings power play did shoot more successfully while Martinez was on the ice than they did when Jake Muzzin was on the ice. It was about a 4% difference between the two. And I was trying to figure out if that was signal rather than noise. Uh, when you look at how Martinez's power play on ice shooting percentage numbers have been for the last couple of years, they've actually been pretty consistently high. So I'm wondering if Martinez is working something, something's working better while he's on the ice compared to when Muzzin's on the ice, who's been low for the last couple of years in what the Kings have shot percentage wise with the man advantage while he's on the ice. Outside of points, Jake Muzzin has historically been the one who has out hit outshot and outblocks Martinez and I expect that to continue this year so you can essentially pick your categories between the two I imagine if I'm projecting them right now that they finish with similar point totals this year as they jostle for positioning on that top unit with one another but there's a little more guaranteed value out of Muzzin thanks to his stronger peripherals both I'd have in the neighborhood of 35 points you can hope that Martinez works that on ice shooting percentage power play magic again gets another five or six power play points more than Jake Muzzin, and that makes up for whatever value he's lost in not getting higher peripherals than Jake Muzzin. You got you to take your pick. You can go for maybe there's more upside with Martinez. I would personally choose Jake Muzzin because I don't think Martinez necessarily has the higher upside and there is that guaranteed peripheral value. Okay, but I mean, just to correct you a little bit, Alec Martinez had more blocks than Jake Muzzin last year. Muzzin had more hits and more shots. So depending on your league categories... And if blocks is one, it's one in the couple, for example, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fan Tracks League. So I care a lot about blocks. Martinez kills Muzzin there, or at least beats him pretty handily. You're right. Thanks for checking me on that. Okay. So uh, since we're on LA, we've got to mention Dustin Brown having a nice resurgence on the top line in power play with Andre Kopitar and company. The third on that line last game was not Camilleri. He's like nowhere to be seen. A guy named Alex Ayafalo was the third on the top line yesterday. I've never heard of him. I'm not even going to ask you about him. Let's focus on Dustin Brown, though. He's now scored in three straight games. He has four goals, two assists, 17 shots, 14 hits in four games so far. So he's been really great in bangers and match leagues and even really great in regular points leagues with shots. Do you think Dustin Brown could keep this up? Or like, is this the kind of thing where the new coaching staff is helping and that will help him keep it up? Like in the past four seasons, he's been not great. He's had 36, 28, 27, and 27 points in each of the last four seasons. So not fantasy relevant at all, but maybe like he's doing well now. He's on the top line, top power play. Is it crazy of me to ask? Do you think if he could get back to being like a 50 plus point guy or should we expect a dip to come very soon? Even in those years of low production, he often had stream-worthy peripherals. Like his shots on goal and his hits made him worth adding for a game or two. And there was always the potential that he could put in a point. Now that he's playing with Kopitar on the regular, that could do nice thing for his point situation. He did get to play with Kopitar for stretches last year and in those other years too. But I would love to see them just play the year as a unit or an even bigger chunk of the year. If you look at how Dustin Brown plays with and without Kopitar and how Kopitar plays with and without Dustin Brown. They both, Dustin Brown and Anze Kopitar, actually make each other better. The effect of playing together goes both ways. It's like a symbiotic helping in the amount of shots that they're able to get on net per 60 minutes while playing as a unit. Brown's numbers so far and Kopitar's six points in four games so far, they back up that the two of them work together. I'd love to see what happens if it does continue for a long enough stretch for both of them because we're looking for Kopitar to bounce back too. But 
we were like, well, who's going to be the line mate that helps carry him there? It's a lot to say that Dustin Brown is the one who's like uniquely capable of it. But looking at how they play with and without each other sure doesn't hurt. Yeah, it will be fun to watch. And if Brown's available in your league, if hits are counted, I think you've got to add him. If shots are counted, probably you still want to add him, depending how deep it is. And since we're on LA, very quick, Jonathan Quick, he's back. He's clearly, the injury is in his past. He's got three wins, a 943 save percentage. So far, the new offense activation in LA hasn't hurt Quick like we you know suggested that maybe could happen. It seems like he's fine. LA's doing well. So anyone who drafted Jonathan Quick, you know, good for you. So some early returns on that offensive activation. Quick is getting more help from his offense. It's a real thing. The Kings, their scoring so far this year is up by eight-tenths of a goal per game, which is twice the league average gain in goals per game so far. Everybody's up because of the early season wackiness, but the Kings are up twice as much as the league average. LA is also seeing almost two more power play opportunities per game at this point compared to all of last year a little less than double the league average gain in that category. Of course, that's also something that's going to be adjusted as the year goes on. There are frequently more power play opportunities early on in the season, so maybe that's a reason why they're able to score more goals. And they've actually cut defensively while activating this offense, so to speak. They've cut half a shot against per game when other teams in the league are allowing two more shots against on average. Once again, this is all very early on, and a lot of weird things are happening that are extraneous to what the Kings are capable of. But it's nice to say that four games in after a coaching transition, things are looking pretty smooth for the Kings. And part of that is thanks to Jonathan Quick for being solid there, even more solid than he's needed to be. Okay, so let's go now to Anaheim, the other California team. Uh, I guess there's three California teams. One of the other California teams, Patrick Eves. Is is there another California team? Yeah, San Jose. Okay, (laughs) Patrick Eves is back. For the Ducks, but Ryan Getzlaff is hurt and a bunch of other people are hurt. So now I can't tell whether or not you should be jumping on Patrick Eves like I would have said under normal circumstances. He scored in his return versus the Islanders and he played with, I think, Getzlaff and Perry on the top lines. It was a great situation for Eves to land in, but he had nothing yesterday in the 3-1 loss to Colorado. And Getzlaff didn't practice yesterday and there's no word on when he'll be back. So there's been, yeah, it's like hard to know what's going on with Ryan Getzlaff. I'm not sure how long he'll be out for. Andre Cachet was getting a shot in the top six, but he's on the IR now along with Kessler and Vatnin and Lindholm. Like there's a lot of players hurt on Anaheim. So it's hard to know who's worth having and who's where. Here are the lines last game yesterday. Patrick Eves, Raquel and Silverberg, and then Cogliano, Perry and Vermette. That was your top six in Anaheim. Uh, The top power play was Eves, Perry, Raquel, Silverberg and Cam Fowler. Somehow, through all of the injuries, their leading scorer is not someone you would have expected. It's Cogliano. He's leading the team with six points in five games right now. Next is Raquel with four points, Perry with three points. This week, the Ducks only play once on Friday, which is very frustrating for owners of Ducks players. Maybe you don't mind if you have guests left and you could throw him in IR plus or something and hope he'll just come back the following week since they only play one game. Brian, Aside from like Getzlaff and I guess Cam Fowler and Gibson, you know, those are guys I'm sure you have to hang on to no matter what. But all these other Ducks players that I've mentioned, are there any of them that you can let go? Or like, are there any of them that must be held on to even during this crappy week? Or can you stream them out as opposed to only getting one game played for the whole week from these guys? In leagues of reasonable depth, I would definitely want to still hold on to Patrick Eves and Ricard Raquel, especially until you have a better picture of what's happening with Getzlaff. It's a little sad what happens to the Ducks center depth once they lose their top two in Getzlaff and Kessler. It's really convenient that Ricard Raquel can fill in at that position, 
But as long as he's on the top line with Patrick Eves and Jacob Silverberg, even those three still merit consideration. Anyone else, anywhere else in the lineup? A little questionable, like Corey Perry. I don't know. I, I haven't really thought this through. I might be tempted to see if I dropped him, would anyone snatch him up or could I have him back at my leisure once the Ducks have a busier schedule again? Also, by the way, speaking of Getzlaff, he's only played two games now, has a lower body injury. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I read on uh, the Dauber ramblings. The writer of that was a little concerned. Also, is it time for owners of Getzlaff to be concerned? Like what would you do if you had Getzlaff right now? Would you kind of like sell high while you still can? Because, you know, he's not in the IR yet. He's only day to day. Like, or would you just like, you know, is it time to just kind of like get rid of him while you can still get good value for him? Or do you ride it out and assume he's going to be fine? I wouldn't do anything. I would just wait to see what the injury news is. I'm not going to try and react ahead of time and guess at making the right decision. You look at Getzloff's games played totals over the last several years. He missed eight games last year. Prior to that, he hadn't missed more than five games in a season since the 2010-11 season. Now he's older, and maybe this is a different injury. I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm not a doctor, but I would not jump to any conclusions and try and sell while I think his value is still high, even though it might be higher in like two days once we get more info. Yeah, it could be higher. It could be a lot lower in a couple of days. So yeah, I guess you're rolling the dice a little bit, but I guess, yeah, he's only day to day. You're probably right. Yeah, don't, I'm uh, making people nervous for no reason. So forget I even asked. That's not nice. By the way, another injury, Gibson is injured right now, as is Ryan Miller. So Red O'Bara came in and played in the last game. But it looks like both Gibson and Miller were skating at the last practice. So I'd imagine people don't need to jump on Red O'Bara, thankfully. And hopefully Gibson will be fine. He has injury history, but I think he's a good guy to have. And like the Ducks have a good schedule. Obviously not next week. Maybe it's good for you if you could keep Gibson in IR Plus for next week. Like I said, don't jump on Red O'Bara, especially with this short schedule next week. Only one game on Friday. Okay, one more outro, Brian. A soon-to-be outro, Eric Carlson. Looks like he's going to be back on Tuesday. Shabbat was sent down. The word is the coach was saying that he thinks Tuesday might be his day. Very exciting. Earlier in this week, Brian, actually, I was planning to bring Mike Hoffman up on this episode as a guy in our cold streak section after he started the season with no points in his first three games. But he had a goal and seven shots versus Calgary, two goals and assists yesterday versus Edmonton. So it doesn't seem necessary for me to even bring up Mike Hoffman anymore. I would have said that I wouldn't worry about it because once Carlson comes back, that's definitely going to help him, especially on the power play, because the Sens power play is like a million times better when they have Eric Carlson on the ice. So I guess uh, everything's good. In Ottawa, Carlson's going to come back and it's probably going to help guys like Hoffman, Tourist, Stone, Bobby Ryan, Broussard, like whoever he plays with on the power play, that's going to help those people get more power play points. If you happen to be in a dynasty, now could be a wonderful time to sell high on Cody CC as somebody who has stepped in a little bit. He's gotten in on the action three points in five games while seeing a bit bigger of a role because of Carlson's absence. If you have anyone in your league out there who still thinks he's going to develop into a top flight offensive defenseman or even a sure thing top four offensive defenseman, now could be a time to get good value from him as maybe some other senators. I just traded Kyle Torres prior to the senators scoring 12 goals in two games and him getting in on a lot of them and now leading the team with seven points in five games. So I want to say sell high on tourists just to justify me having traded him away, but I'm not sure I'm saying that with a clear and unbiased mind. Well, especially because you traded him for Brent Seabrook, who's like, that's okay, I guess. Nothing nothing special. But also centers are abundant in free agency. So obviously there's a big value over replacement difference. I don't know why I'm harping on your trade. Good job, Brian. Smart trade. Uh, So It's like there's no in between for you. They're ripping it apart or saying, good job, let's move on. There's no like, ah. 
It could be okay. I think you could have gotten more. Who knows? Well, after this recent scoring outburst, absolutely. I sold low. Yeah. Okay. But maybe Super Cool be good. Okay. Brian, <laughs> that's it for the outjuries. I want to get into some injuries now. Dealing with injuries and outjuries during fantasy is so frustrating. But you know what? You don't even have to worry about that stuff if you play daily fantasy with our sponsor for this episode, FanDuel. You guys like fantasy hockey. You're playing it. That's why you're listening to this show. So why not check out FanDuel to play some daily fantasy hockey? It's for everyday fans, new contests starting every day. You could pick your team from scratch. Go with the players you think have good matchups on that day or the guys, you know, I wish I could have Razzo's Crystal Line. I don't know why you'd be saying that specifically. I wish I could have Eric Carlson, you know, on Tuesday. It'll be so fun to cheer for Carlson. Now you can just pick him on your FanDuel team. Lots of contests to choose from. You could start at just $1. You pick a contest, choose your team, watch your score real time. It's a great site. It's a lot of fun. So check it out on FanDuel. We actually have a Keeping Carlson Listener League on FanDuel. Every week we play against each other. Last week, I really didn't do that well. The winner was this guy, Bradley, who's a patron of Keeping Carlson. Way to go, Bradley. Uh, We both picked Connor Hellebuck. So I thought I was happy. Like I finally picked a goalie that won, which was great. And we'll actually talk about Hellebuck later in the show. But then somehow Bradley like knew to pick Josh Morrissey against Vancouver. And he scored a goal. Like, how did you predict that? And like Clayton Keller did well. Like everyone he picked was so good. You look at this lineup. I can't believe it. Oh, I should have taken Vincent Trocek. He had a good game for Florida. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Check it out on FanDuel. Our listener league this week is going to be on Tuesday night. So you could sign up starting Monday at around 8 p.m. You go to fanduel.com slash Carl, K-A-R-L, and that will lead you to the entry to this week's listener league. Again, Monday after around 8 p.m., go sign up. We'll play against each other on Tuesday, and hopefully I'll win this time. Or even better, you'll win like not Elon, but listener you are going to win and Elon will be just raving about your picks on next week's show. If you're listening right now and it's past 7 p.m. on a Monday, check out the link fandle.com slash K-A-R-L and hopefully it'll be open to you. You can join. If it's not yet, it will be momentarily. And by the way, if all of that isn't great enough, New users on FanDuel get free entry into the NHL Breakaway Contest. There's thousands of dollars in cash prizes guaranteed to pay out. When you make your first deposit on FanDuel, you get that free entry. Just visit FanDuel.com. Sign up with the promo code CARL. That's FanDuel.com. Promo code CARL. Void where prohibited. Okay, Brian, let's move on with the show. We've still got some injuries, hot streaks, cold streaks, the whole shebang for you listeners. So strap in. Let's go to injuries. Let's go to Vegas. Both Marc-Andre Fleury and Jonathan Marchessault are on the IR for the Golden Knights. Fleury started the year with three straight wins. We talked about him last week. He then got rocked for six goals against in the 6-3 loss to Detroit on Friday, including apparently taking a knee to the head in the second period. And he has a concussion. No sense of when he'll be back. So it'll be Malcolm Subban playing Boston tonight. Actually, the game has started. Let's get a quick update here. We're in the second period, and it's one nothing for Vegas. So I guess Subban is doing pretty well. And actually, this guy, Alex Tuck, who was just called up for Vegas because of other roster stuff, which I'll get to, he scored a goal so far. So look at this. This team, you, you'd think, like, I would have assumed that Malcolm Subban is going to just get ripped into by the Boston Bruins. Like, he's never really been good when he was on the Bruins. And now look at look at this. Like, on Ve- there's magic happening in Vegas. Anyway... I guess, Brian, this question becomes a little easier. Or who knows, by the time maybe someone's listening to this episode, Vegas will have lost like 5-1 to Boston, all goals in the third period. But either way, Brian, should people be jumping on Malcolm Subban at this point if there are not many goalies available in their league? We don't know how long Fleury will be out. Also, I should mention that Maxim Legacy, related to Manny Legacy, I'm not sure, I didn't look that up, but he's been called up as the backup. So those are your two Vegas Golden Knights goalies for the near future. Malcolm Subban and Maxim Legacy. What do you think about these guys? 
Should people be jumping on Malcolm Subban? I mean, Flurry already has a concussion. I don't think we should risk any more damage to Vegas goaltenders. But you know what my thoughts on Flurry were and how I was not confident he'd be able to put up good numbers on that team and collect a lot of wins. And so I would be even more concerned about trying out either Subban or Legacy. It will be nice, not for Marc-Andre Fleury, but for us, if we get to see a handful of games played from Malcolm Subban, just to see what he's got to offer. If he can at least turn in an occasional decent effort as an NHL starter, but I would only be adding either of the Vegas second and third stringers if you're chasing starts or saves. Vegas is in big trouble if Fleury is out long, and I don't know that either of these goalies are capable of maintaining average save percentages, and that might even be understating the point. Oh, man. So you're not a fan. I guess we'll have to check in next week and see if your prediction was correct. Of course, it would help these goalies if Vegas could score goals. So it obviously doesn't help them that Jonathan Marcheseau and Eric Haula are both out with lower body injuries. But the good news is that Vadim Shipashov finally is back. He's making his debut tonight. He's playing right now. Should I once again go check in? Why not? Okay. Las Vegas lineup Shipashov. He has no shots and no points, but he's plus one. So he was on the ice for the goal. So <laughs> take that for what you will. He, we, he was someone that we were all excited about going into the season. We thought he would be their top line, you know, top power play center, the guy who had a chance to maybe break 50 points on the team. Now it seems like James Neal is the one that you want on Vegas in terms of points. But maybe Shipashov is actually the guy, Brian. You'll have to fill us in. Also, Alex Tuck, like I said, was called up. He has a goal today. Marcheseau, by the way, has only one goal on 10 shots in four games so far. So I feel like Marcheseau getting injured isn't that big a deal for you. If you had him, I guess now you could stash him in IR. Otherwise, I would have said you could probably drop him. Brian, are you excited for Shipashov at this point? Are you jumping on him now that he's back? Breaking news, Shipashov just scored. So yeah, I would be jumping all over him to celebrate the goal. What a great moment for his career. But I'd also be adding him as a free agent too. At the meetup last night, Julien and Jerome were asking me what to do about him. And obviously I said, just get excited that he's playing. They had him on their roster. They didn't want to have dead weight any longer. The center depth in Vegas had been so awful before they called up Shipachov. Cody Eakin was playing first line minutes. And now with Marcia out, Vegas can thank their lucky stars that they have Shipachov to call upon, who is hopefully some semblance of a star in the NHL because Vegas will need his firepower and he remains the best candidate to lead that team in points this year, even if he missed the first few games. Another thing about Vegas, uh, Shea Theodore is still in the minors. So that's one down. He's apparently doing well there, but we're still waiting on him to get called up. And then maybe we could say the team is complete, though now they have these injuries. So those have to be resolved as well. Uh, note from the chat room here. I haven't verified this, but Matthew was saying that Eves is injured. So maybe go back to our conversation about Eves. And now you could just put him in your... Actually, Brad, this is kind of good for me because I have him in my IR already in the couple. And I hadn't activated him yet. And my lineup was locked. And I was trying to decide if I should hold on to him all this week. Now it looks like he'll uh, be day today. But I guess it's also not nice of me to say that it's good news when someone gets hurt. I hope he's okay. I hope it's not a bad injury. <laughs> you make me feel bad. You've, you've helped me grow a soul, Brian. Now I feel bad when players get injured. That wasn't nice of you. Well, you started this statement by saying you're happy Patrick Eves is injured, and that's probably a good thing for you personally. So we're not all the way there yet, clearly. Okay, uh, let's go now to Edmonton. So a bad injury there. Leon Dreisaitl has a concussion and an eye injury. Like, doesn't sound good. I don't exactly know what happened, but I've been reading that he suffered this injury on Monday. He hasn't skated yet. 
Sounds kind of scary. I hope he's going to be okay. Uh, that opens up, obviously, a big spot on the roster because he had been playing with McDavid on the top line in the top power play. Yesterday, Kyler Yamamoto not only got back into the lineup, but he got moved to play on the top line with McDavid and Maroon. He had six shots on goal and even assisted on the only Edmonton goal of the game and even saw some power play time along with McDavid, Lucic, Letestu, and Clefbaum. So, obviously, this is great for anyone who was holding on to Kyler Yamamoto, hoping that he would get back into the lineup. Couldn't get much better than this. Uh, the Oilers have lost 6-1 in this game, so perhaps we should expect new lines in the next game. Are you seeing Yamamoto a good stream option for next week, or are you going to wait and see what the line combinations are? And even then, you know, if even if he's playing with McDavid, do you expect him to do w- really well? It's nice to see some sunshine in Yamamoto's numbers, and that's why he's absolutely a great streaming option. You would add anyone who plays with McDavid, as long as he's there, you add him. He looked better last night than he had in any other regular season appearance, which of course might be easier when you play more than 18 minutes in a game, many of those coming alongside Connor McDavid. So for that reason, add Yamamoto. If you add Patrick Maroon because he's playing with McDavid, then there's no reason not to add Yamamoto too. We've even added Slepyshev before because he's playing with McDavid. Yeah, but I think we're more high on Yamamoto going into the year than we've ever been about Slepyshev. So yeah, someone to definitely look at. We've been giving you guys quite the list at this point, and we're going to throw a lot more on there. So it's going to be tough for you to decide who to add of all of these guys. You can always tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We're happy to help. Uh, Brian, so a couple players on the Oilers that are not doing well to start the year that people might be getting concerned about are Cam Talbot and Oscar Clefbaum. Talbot's played four games now, has an 880 save percentage, only one win, not looking good at all. And then Clefbaum, no points in four games so far. He was supposed to be the sure thing you know top power play guy that's going to get us some points he's been on the top power play but he's not doing anything he only has two shots per game after nine in his first game in the last three games only two shots each game zero blocks yesterday didn't even help people there still on the top power play but is it time to be concerned about oscar clefbaum or is it like buy low time for both him and cam talbot i can't get concerned so soon about cam talbot so he's a buy low opportunity for a goalie who can provide you with a roughly average save percentage and some wins to boot. But it's also a reality check for anyone who had bumped his value up a lot because they expected the Oilers to dominate the Pacific and be the automatic conference finalists. Clearly, they still have work to do, more so with dry saddle out for as long as that lasts. Even with dry saddle out, though, I still expect Cam Talbot to do fairly well as a goalie, much better than he's doing right now. Okay, yeah. So it is a bit disappointing for people that were hoping that Talbot would just help them win their first two weeks. He's done the opposite. Hopefully things will stabilize for him and a few other goalies. Like Frederick Anderson also hasn't been great. Carey Price hasn't been great. So we've already talked about some of them last week. Yeah, we got to get some goalies stabilizing. Uh, Devin Dubnik also not doing well. Let's actually talk about Minnesota now. So they're also being torn apart by injuries. Grandlin is out with a groin injury, likely out until late October. Parisi hasn't played yet. He could actually be back soon, apparently. Nino Niederreiter is now expected to miss at least three weeks with a high ankle sprain. Charlie Coyle is going to be out six to eight weeks with a right fibula fracture. Marcus Foligno is also out. Clearly, this is not good news for Devin Dubnik owners. He only has an 894 save percentage after three games. Brian, is it like buy low time on Dubnik? You know, even though they're probably going to be hurting for a little while, do you take the hit now and hopefully he'll be good come playoff time once everyone's healthy again? Totally. And even before that, I have faith that Dubnik couldn't perform well. My advice is actually similar to Talbot. He's a good goalie on a good team. But with Dubnik, you have even better upside for how many wins he can get and how high his save percentage can go. The bright side in Minnesota is even with so much of the forward core injured, at least the defense is still intact. And they also have a pretty clever guy behind the bench who I 
trust to make some reasonable adjustments that will keep the Wilds competitive and Dubnik reasonably well protected. I would actually target him before Talbot if I was choosing one or the other to buy low on. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Minnesota was such a good team last year, but it sucks with all these injuries. But yeah, good opportunity to maybe buy low from an owner that's freaking out that everyone is injured and they're not doing very well. Brian, you'll never guess who their leading scorer is. Or I guess now you will because you probably read my notes. But did you even come close to guessing the right answer to this? People in the chat room, you can take a guess really quickly if you want. I noticed it earlier in the week. So, yes. Okay. The leading scorer currently Sunday, October 15th for the Minnesota Wild is Chris Stewart. He's got four goals and two assists in four games. The four goals are on eight shots, though, so I think I know where you're going to go with this. Probably not especially sustainable. Still, Stewart has been playing in the top six with Eric Stahl and Joel Eriksson-Eck. His center, Eric Stahl, is looking good as well. He's got three goals and an assist, 14 shots in four games. Looks like he may be able to take a run at repeating his 65 points from last year. Another name scoring on Minnesota, who we haven't heard about scoring points for quite a while, is Tyler Ennis, who's been playing top minutes with Koivu and Zucker. Ennis and Zucker both have four points. Koivu has three points. I'm going to assume you'll rank Stahl and Koivu as the top two guys you want for offense on Minnesota. Who do you like best as a flyer on the wild right now, aside from those two guys, like of the other four I've mentioned in the top six? You assume correctly for starters. And Eric Stahl, it is looking possible that he can crack 60 points again. I love that his shot rates are actually up over last year to start the season. That's great. As for the next guy after Stahl and Koivu, I like Jason Zucker because of his four extra shots on goal. Well, I was actually comparing him directly to Ennis. So he has four more shots than Tyler Ennis, five extra minutes of ice time per game. And Ennis is a Band-Aid boy too. So you can add him today. Who knows if he'll be healthy for you tomorrow. That's why I like Jason Zucker more than him or anyone else in the wild top six, not named Stahl or Koivu, who's healthy. Right. Okay. So next, let's go to Vancouver for another injury. Poor Alex Edler. I don't know why I just laughed there. He's out again, going to miss three to four weeks with an MCL sprain. Uh, He's like the kind of guy that probably wasn't very fantasy relevant for you. Anyways, he was getting top power play time. Like you said on Vancouver, it's like who even knows who's getting it. I think it was him, but now he's out. So there's a plethora of other defensemen that maybe will jump into that role. Derek Pouliot was called up. Remember he came over from Pittsburgh, I guess last year. Uh, Pouliot was called up and he actually assisted on Brock Besser's third period goal yesterday in the 5-2 loss to Calgary. Pouliot also saw a bit of power play time. So is there any chance he can challenge for the designation of being the top producing Vancouver D for the next few weeks? His competitors would be Delzato, Ben Hutton, Troy Stetcher, all of whom got some power play time yesterday and all of whom have one assist in four games so far this year. This is looking like another lease on life for Derek Pouliot, who we first started looking at back in 2014-15 as a highly buzzed about option to ascend to the top of the Penguins' defensive depth. Never happened. And he's only had 33 games of NHL action over the last two seasons. No production in the big leagues to really speak of. In Scranton, Wilkes-Barre for the Baby Pens, he'd been at least a half point per game player during his time there over the last couple of years. The thing in Vancouver is that there's like very little competition to be had. So I imagine there's a chance for anyone, including him, to make an impression. That said, I'd probably have him as a third or fourth most likely candidate to get top power play billing amongst the other guys who are in the running. Yeah, the thing is, Vancouver plays four games next week. A lot of teams only play two games. Like I said, Anaheim plays once. So there would be it would be valuable to grab a Vancouver defense. Like if you're in a weekly league trying to fill your last spot, it would be nice to have someone playing those four games. But the question is, like, which one do you take? Of Like Delzato, Ben Hutton, Troy Stetcher, or Derek Pouliot? I have no idea who's going to get more points of the four of them next week. Usually for a team's defenseman, you could at least 
break it down to like one or two guys that will be in the running. Not there. On the plus side for Vancouver, let's talk about Brock Besser, who after being scratched to start the year, now has one goal and one assist in the two games he's played so far. He was on a line with Bo Horvat and Sven Berchi yesterday and also played on the top power play with the Sedins and Thomas Vanek. So great deployment for Besser after getting benched. Maybe he learned his lesson of whatever the coach was trying to teach him. Patron Tyler asked on Facebook today if we can expect Besser to put up a 50-point pace for the rest of the season. I feel like he could. Like He seems like a really good player, and it seems like when he's in the lineup, at least, he gets good deployment. Like, Brian, who would you prefer right now between Besser and Yamamoto? Besser, I guess, is better for next week if we're talking just a one-week option because, like I said, Vancouver's playing four times. But overall, whose situation do you like better right now? Well, that's not the question I actually prepared to answer. I was trying to figure out who I liked more for the rest of the year. And for the rest of the year, I prefer Besser just because I doubt that Yamamoto hangs on that top line once Drysaddle comes back. And perhaps he shuffled around even before then. This is all assuming, by the way, that Yamamoto doesn't totally catch fire with McDavid before either Drysaddle can return or he gets demoted in the lineup. But Besser is the guy that I can count on to be more reliably deployed. And he's already made his case, like you said, to not miss another game this year after coming back from a scratch with two games of production now in a row. I think I would still take Besser in the short term. Yamamoto is still the exciting guy. Maybe his shot totals will eclipse Besser's in the short term. But looking further into the future, that's enough to tip it certainly towards Besser for me. Yeah, I like Besser's situation, especially now that he's getting top power play time. That's great. And he seems like a really good player. But so does Yamamoto. Could go either way. I'm with you. I would pick Besser. Okay, speaking of the Calgary Flames, who I mentioned beat Vancouver, uh, one of the players that was playing against them was Yarmir Yager. He's back in the lineup. And he's even gotten some ice time with Goudreau and Monaghan yesterday, both at even strength and on the power play. So that's great to see Yarmir Yager not only playing, but also playing in a prominent role. He even put up a power play assist, his first point in the three games he's played Overall, though, Yager only played around 12 minutes yesterday. Is he on your fantasy radar? Like, is he on your watch list in any leagues? Or should we just kind of be happy to see him getting opportunities in his probably final season, but forget about him in terms of fantasy relevance this year? He's probably a deep ad in your league. Someone to watch. Remember that last year he was free agent fodder for a sizable chunk of the year, even when he was playing on the top power play unit and at even strength with Alex Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau. In that deployment spot, his IPP took a pretty rough tumble down to 57% at even strength when his usual mark prior to that had been in the mid to high 60s. Normally, for any other player, I'd say, hey, maybe that's a bounce back candidate because IPP is something that's supposed to be relatively stable and any jump or drop in it should be temporary. But it's easy to imagine why a drop in Yager's IPP, which describes that he was less involved in his team's offense, maybe that was legitimate. Maybe he just can't keep up with two young scorers anymore and continue to get involved in that kind of offense. I'll keep an open mind, but I'm not making any immediate play for him other than a watch list ad. As for his ice time being 12 minutes, that I'm not concerned about. I think it'll get up there. Remember, this is like his preseason. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Okay, so I've got two more injuries for you, Brian, and then we can get to some hot streaks and cold streaks to close out the show. Next one on Washington, Matt Niskanen was placed on long-term IR with an upper body injury. I assume in terms of fantasy relevance, this just further entrenches John Carlson as the top power play guy in Washington, someone that can't be usurped because the competition is a lot worse now with Matt Niskanen out. Carlson's been good, four assists in six games, 15 shots. I guess it would have been nice to see some goals, but overall, you can't complain too much about John Carlson if you drafted him. Guys like Orpik and Orlov and a guy named Christian Juice 
who I hadn't heard of, but then there were some funny tweets, including one by you, Brian, of his face on a juice box. Very clever. Anyways, all three of those guys, Orpik, Orlov, and Juice, got some second unit power play time in yesterday's blowout loss to Philly. I assume none of these guys are worth considering adding, though. Like, If you had Matt Niskanen on your team, are you looking to replace him with another Washington defenseman not named John Carlson? That wasn't just a juice box, Elon, that he was on. It was the, the juice box that was the artwork for the song Juice by Chance the Rapper from the Acid Rap album. But I, I don't expect uh, that to really be. No- anyway, uh, Matt Niskanen, what, what did you ask me? Wow. Oh, yeah. Do I care about Juice or Orpik or Orlov? And then Matt Niskanen, uh, look at what he was doing. He was a free agent in most leagues. Just a single assist and four shots on goal in five games so far. I don't expect much more. Out of any of these guys, yeah, Juice had a, a pretty strong moment. And Orlov has had his time in the sun before, too. Last year, there was a stretch where people were asking if they should add him. None of these guys are known for their offense, though. I would not jump at any of them. I might consider them in a really deep pool. As someone's going to get a little more ice time, and might be able to help with your peripherals and luck into a couple points here and there. But none of them are must-adds. Okay. Uh, by the way, Brian, like I said, Washington got blown out by Philly. Someone who got a lot of points for Philly was Sean Couturier, someone we mentioned on last episode and on a couple other shows when we saw that he was going to be playing with Giroux and Voracek. I feel like at this point, if you haven't added him, like, go, go get him. Though I know with center, it's tough. There's like a lot of centers available, but like more and more reason to pick up Couturier as we keep watching him play. By the way, if you go to the end of last season, he was also really good then. He's up to now 20 points in his last 22 actual games, if you include the end of last season. So Couturier's been on fire for a while now. I would definitely consider adding him if he's still available in your league. Uh, Okay, Brian, back to Washington. Some people seem to be getting frustrated with Burakovsky's two assists in six games so far. He's been still on the Backstrom Oshie line, but not seeing a sniff of the top power play unit. Do you see... Andre Burkowski as a streamer at this point. I know some people drafted him expecting him to be like a solid 60-point guy or at least like a 55-plus point guy. Do you see Burkowski now as a streamer, like at the same level as someone like Brock Besser? Like, you know, like I said, next week, Brock Besser plays four games while a lot of other teams play fewer. Is it worth dropping Burkowski for someone like Besser and then potentially to drop for someone else later? Or do you see Burkowski still being someone that should be rostered in most leagues? Here's the thing with Burkowski, that power play one time has not materialized. And I'm not necessarily expecting it to materialize, barring injury to any of the guys who are currently on it, which is a really big bummer for anyone who drafted Burakovsky. It was hopeful to think that he'd crack that top unit early on in the season, but we were hoping that with some of that power play time on ice, he could perform similarly to Marcus Johansson's 58 points last year in very similar deployment. But no top unit power play time for Burakovsky means that you need to downgrade your expectations to maybe 45-50 instead of 50-55. I'd still like to think higher because of his even strength deployment. And that's probably a conservative projection. 50, give or take a couple, might be a little more reasonable. It's hard to say when Washington has only scored four goals with Burakovsky on the ice at even strength so far. He's registered an assist on two of those, which I guess is okay. You can probably stream him out of your lineup in leagues where dropping him would fly under the radar and no one else would notice. But if the free agent pool is pretty shallow, I would actually try my best to stay patient just for another little while until we see what Burakovsky's involvement is once his line with Backstrom and Oshie starts putting a few more pucks in and on net at even strength. 
Okay, that's fair. I but I agree with you though. In a lot of leagues, I think you could start streaming Burakovsky out of your lineup because he's not on that top power play. Someone who is on the top power play though, Brian TJ Oshie. He's got eight points in six games so far. Five goals on thirteen shots. He had a great year last year. We said all throughout the summer. You specifically pointed out he had a really high shooting percentage. He shouldn't be able to repeat it once again. He's starting the year with a really high shooting percentage. Can we maybe start to think that he's just a high shooting percentage guy on the Caps, or is this just another example of good? production that's not going to last Oshi is in a good spot on that power play you can expect someone's shooting percentage to rise if you're looking at the overall number but last year his even strength shooting percentage was way too high and that's what i don't expect to be maintained and i still don't expect it to be maintained even after some good early returns so i'm not saying it's going to drop necessarily back down to where it was in st louis i'm talking about his personal all situation shooting percentage it still will be a little higher by virtue of being on a successful power player where he has a lot of grade A opportunities. However, I'm not convinced at all that he's suddenly going to be a 25, 30% shooter, which is a ridiculous thing to have to say, Elon. Why did you make me say it? I mean, he was good. All, it's not as if he went on a run last year, right? He was good all season long, and now he's doing it again this year. So Doesn't it, matter. It's worth asking. Like, no, Nobody's done it before. Why would TJ Oshi? For how long, like how long does, would he have to do it before you change your mind? Like, let's say two months into the season, he's still shooting and scoring at this similar rate. Then what would you say? Nine more years. Okay, <laughs> fine. Okay. Uh, last injury, really quickly, Antti Ranta is injured on Arizona. He could be back soon. I don't know exactly how serious it is. Curious to know, Brian, while Ranta is out, who would you rather have in Nets if you had to have one of Louis Domingue or Malcolm Subban? I would take Louis Domingue. He's on a better team. Oh, okay. Well, it hasn't looked like it so far this year, but I yeah. guess... <laughs> who would you take with your, with your, with your righteous, huh? Who would you take? I'd take Subban. Of course. Huh. Do you want to bet board it? Well, it doesn't matter because I think Ranta's going to be back and it won't matter. But sure, we can bet board it for the small amount of time. Plus, I get a head start here because I'm seeing that Subban's having a good game today. So that helps. When you were researching for the show, you didn't know that that was going to happen yet. But I guess at this point, the second period is over and it is... What is it? I don't know. I don't know why I keep giving updates. Whatever. I think it's still 2 nothing. All right, Brian, let's go to some hot streaks now, okay? Just for the record, Subban's two periods of potentially shutout hockey, I haven't seen the score myself, does not change my opinion. I'd still choose Demang. Okay. Demang's like shown to be not very good in the NHL. I guess Subban has no. had short stretches. Here's the thing with, has Subban had short stretches? You go look that up while I say that Demang has had very good stretches. Remember when he first came in and everyone was excited and I said, don't, don't believe the hype. And then he rattled off several great starts in a row and was a fantasy MVP for a lot of people who added him for a string of, I don't know, four or five weeks. I can't remember now. He's not that good on the whole. So you can expect him to be capable of turning in an average or above average performance every so often, but on the whole, he's a below average NHL goalie. Okay, and Malcolm Subban has played two games so far uh, before today. One in 2014-15, where he led in three goals, and then one in 2016-17, where he led in also three goals. So not not great. But he convinced you. I'm just, I don't know, Vegas has looked better than Arizona. This is short term. Hey, it doesn't matter. It's not going to matter. Hopefully. Hopefully Ranta will be back. By the way, everyone's jumping ship on Ranta. He had like one bad game, and then he got injured in a game. Like, I think overall, he's still good. I haven't lost faith in anti-Ranta yet. I'm a little concerned about Arizona not being as good as I thought they would be, but it's still early. They have good defensemen. I think they'll be able to clean this up. I think now's a good time to grab Ranta if he's been dropped in your league. Brian, I want to go to some hot streaks. Alex Petrangelo has been an absolute beast for St. Louis. In six games, he has two goals and six assists, three of them on the power play, 28 shots on goal, 10 blocks, 
Brian, are you in now on Petrangelo being a reliable stud in fantasy, or do you still expect Colton Pareko to steal his job at some point this season? If the latter, then I guess that means people should sell high on Petrangelo. But I'm thinking, like, Petrangelo's great. He looked great at the end of last year. He's looking great now. He was great in the playoffs. I think it's time to forget about this Colton Pareko threat and enjoy the production by Petrangelo. Yeah, Petrangelo, just to put into context how great a start he's had to the year, he's its fourth in the entire NHL with 28 shots on goal, leads all defensemen in the category. He's tied with 15 other players for fifth in the NHL with eight points, tied with Mike Green in the category. But there's nothing not to like about what Petrangelo has accomplished so far this year, even if he does hold that top power play spot all year, which I concede is looking more and more possible, this still could be a pretty good sell-high opportunity on him. He's rocking a 73% even-strength IPP at the moment when it should be closer to 45 or 50%. Of course, a sell-high opportunity is only ever as good as the return you get back. We had one of our patrons thinking about seeing if a panicked Brent Burns owner might be interested. It's not a terrible idea if you can approach it tactfully. If you do manage to sell high on Petrangelo, please tweet us at Keeping Carlson and let us know who you got. Yeah, we'll talk about Brent Burns later on the show to see if you think he's going to be able to bounce back or not. But sticking with St. Louis, got to also mention Jaden Schwartz, who has eight points as well, and not even playing with Tarasenko at even strength. Last game, Schwartz played on a line with Braden Shen, who has six points himself. He's also been really good. And someone named Sammy Blaze, another guy who I don't plan on asking you about unless you want to say something about him. But I feel like you've got to like Schwartz's chances to keep this up, considering he's putting up all of these points while not on the top line. Maybe he even gets on the top line at some point. He's on the top power play, of course. I don't see him getting bumped there. But yeah, it's a great situation for Jaden Schwartz right now, and he's really taking advantage of it. Speaking of the top line, though, it looks like Sabatka has been demoted from the Stasny-Tarasenko line in favor of Magnus Pajarvi. So I feel like at this point, you could definitely drop Vladimir Sabatka if you were streaming him while he was on the top line. He's definitely a snoozer at this point. By the way, that top line spot that's right now being occupied by Magnus Pajarvi, that would be a really nice spot for Alex Steen when he comes back. So don't forget about him. When he's back from injury, he might just slot right in there playing with also really hot players in Stasny and Tarasenko. A lot of people in St. Louis are scoring goals right now. That was a very, very passive way to ask me who Samuel Blay is. I didn't ask you about him, but if you can answer for sure, he played last year for Chicago in the AHL. He had 43 points in 75 games. Now he has no points in one game that are on the record. He was a late late pick he was around sixer back in 2014 anyway i i don't know why you're right you shouldn't have asked me about him in a forward or passive way as for Jaden schwartz looking so good he is someone who we've always touted as having 60 point plus potential when being deployed consistently well which is happening right now so good Moving over to some more players on hot streaks. Let's go back to Colorado. We talked about them last week, but we got to talk about them again. Patron Victor in our Facebook group started a Sven Andragetto fan club. And why not? He's got six points in six games so far, playing with Nathan McKinnon, who has four points, and Rantanen, who has five points. I asked if I could join the club since I'm a Rantanen owner, and I think they've given me membership. So that's fun. It's really fun owning one of these guys. And even there's also another line to be excited about in Colorado. People have been really enjoying the production from Nail Yakupov and Matt Duchesne, along with Alexander Kerfoot. They were doing really well. We actually talked about them on our mailbag show for patrons last Thursday. And yeah, up to six points and five points, respectively, for Yakupov and Duchesne. So both of them looking good. Brian, how would you rank all of these guys on Colorado at this point? If you're 
looking at guys who could potentially be free agents. So obviously forget about McKinnon, but you know, Duchesne, Rantanen, Andrew Ghetto, Yakupov, who are you liking right now? I'm liking Andrew Ghetto. 16 points in 19 games to end last season with Nathan McKinnon. So what he's doing right now is like a continuation of last year, if you want to be super optimistic about it. And he's carried an elite IPP during that time, as well as a friendly on ice shooting percentage. But he's looking like he could be legitimately deserving of some portion of those nice percentages that he's seeing. I'd absolutely want to add Andrew Ghetto in a mid-sized league, even in a shallow league. I take him for a spin if I have an extra spot that's open, say for a Patrick Eves or Kyle Lucposo injury. Not to say that Andrew Ghetto is an 80-point player, but really promising early returns from a skilled guy who's been rumored to have more to give if he gets top-flight deployment. And here he is, finally seeing top-flight deployment. If you ask me to rank all the abs you just sort of rolled through, I'd go McKinnon first, then still Ranton in second, then Andrew Ghetto, then Duchesne, then Yakupov. In equal deployment, Duchesne would be first or second on that list, but he's still only seeing second unit power play time, and that's why he is listed behind Rantanen and Andrew Ghetto. Yeah, that's fair. At first, I thought you were saying Andrew Ghetto over Rantanen, which I was curious about. But yeah, I also have Rantanen a little higher than Andrew Ghetto, just because he's got the bigger pedigree. Yeah, it might not even matter. Like, they're playing on the same line, Rantanen and Andrew Ghetto, both succeeding with McKinnon. Hopefully, it can keep up. Brian, so there's another team with a lot of players doing well on, and that's the Nashville Predators. The Forsberg-Johansson-Arvidsson line is back together. Forsberg is up to seven points in five games. Arvidsson leading the team in shots. Johansson getting his assists. So everything is back to normal from last year. It looks like, though, something different is that in the last game, Scott Hartnell bumped Arvidsson from the top power play. He had a power play assist and is up to four points in five games. I guess maybe I was wrong about him. I know early on in the preseason when we saw that he was getting some good deployment, I was like, don't even worry about Scott Hartnell. He's old and he'll just get bumped down before long. But yeah, if he's on the top power play, that looks pretty good. The downside, he only played 12 minutes yesterday as opposed to 17 minutes in the game before. So some big ice time fluctuations. But yeah, I'm willing to admit I was wrong about Scott Hartnell at least a little bit if you say that I was still. I'd say he's taking real good advantage of his opportunity to more or less replace James Neal or be a candidate to replace James Neal amongst the Nashville forwards. And it's his first real scoring deployment that he's seen since a couple years ago now in Columbus. I see him as like a good specialist type guy to roll into your lineup if free agent options are looking thin. He could, and Maple Leafs fans might want to block their ears, he could be like a Patrick Marlowe type for your fantasy team. Okay, and then on defense, there's also a lot of people doing really well. P.K. Subban is killing it with seven points in five games, four power play points. Seems like he's benefited from Roman Yosi being out for the last three games. Yosi should be back soon, so it'll be interesting to see if Subban is still going to do really well or if maybe he'll go back to a, like more of a secondary role. But like I was nervous about Subban going into the season because he's really downgraded his number of points we can expect when he used to be like a 60-point guy back on Montreal. But yeah, I'm curious to know what you think of if Subban can keep this up even once Roman Yossi comes back. I just want to add, before I even answer that, the Hartnell thing, Marlo is definitely a little more settled in his good top power play unit deployment. So I prefer him. Maybe I wouldn't call him a Marlowe light, though. He's not that far off of what I hope he can accomplish this year. Anyway, P.K. Subban, Yosi is going to reclaim the spot once he's healthy. And I'll just stand by my going line on P.K. Subban, which is that his 60-point days, they're behind him as long as Roman Yosi is in the lineup and doing his thing in his prime. Okay, that's fair. But Brian, I got to also ask you, who is a Samuel Gerard guy who has three points in three games and saw 50% of the power play deployment yesterday on defense for Nashville? 
is he someone other people need to pay attention to? Or is this just something while Roman Yosi is out and Samuel Gerard will go back to being completely irrelevant in a couple of days? This is another only while Roman Yosi is out situation, but it's still interesting to get a look at this guy, Sammy Gerard, 2016 mid-second round draft pick, undersized defenseman, stands only 5'10", 162 pounds, but he led to win again of the QMJHL in points last year with 75 points in 59 games. Now he's 19 years old in his first pro season, and the scouting reports say he's very offensively capable, says he's an elite skater, that's his real strength, he has great vision, he can be flashy, fantastic playmaker, but the thing is, is being a good defenseman on Nashville, especially good young defenseman, that's not necessarily enough to get into the lineup. Nashville is pretty deep on the back end, so maybe he's a D-pad while Yossi is out, but my guess is that he heads back to Milwaukee of the AHL once Roman Yossi returns. Okay, let's talk about another defenseman now in Florida on a nice run, Aaron Ekblad. Still on the second power play, but he has four points in four games, five and three shots in his last two games. He's putting shots on net just like he did last year. Do you still only see Ekblad as like a 30 to 35 point guy while he's on the second power play on the Panthers? Or has anything that's happened so far made you think he can be more? Well, he scored two goals on eight shots, which would be high for a forward, let alone a defenseman. So I want to say no. My knee-jerk response is like, come on, early season, good luck good for him. But here's the thing about Ekblad, and I don't know that we really got into this in the offseason, is that I think things could break a lot better for Ekblad this year than they did last year, which of course was terrible. He was on a 25-point full season pace. In 2016-17, his shot rate went up, but his shooting percentage went down. It's like the inverse of TJ Oshie. Anyway, Ekblad's shooting percentage went from 8% down to 4%. The question at the time was why the drop, and it seems as though Ekblad was being asked to take more shots from the point creeping in less often towards the net as he had done a couple years prior to take a, at least a decent portion of his shots. Maybe this had something to do with his drop in shooting percentage, but in any case, I wonder if he can maybe work his way back up a couple percentage points towards 6% because he was a 7 or 8% shooter for two seasons before dropping down to 4 If he can keep up similar shot volume and get that percentage bounce back, that'd be good for another five goals right there. And then... On top of that, his even strength on ice shooting percentage was also dreadful. And he probably played a part in that with his own low shooting percentage. But few of his shots were getting deflected in or otherwise converted on by his teammates. They were low percentage, so we couldn't expect a lot to come from them. But again, just a small bump could help him both in his own shooting percentage and even strength shooting percentage. Together, that could make him someone who can touch 40, which is ridiculous. Because last year we were saying, I don't know... Nobody wants to get too excited about his offensive potential anymore. We have to accept who he is. But one more thing working in his favor so far this year is that Ekblad is outpointing his main competitor on the Florida blue line, Keith Yandel. And also, the Florida power play hasn't been seeing a ton of success with Yandel at the helm. So if Ekblad can keep rolling a couple points and Yandel doesn't get his act together quickly, maybe there's a door open there. Someone to watch for sure to see more offensive upside than we were thinking about in the dregs of last season's poor shooting percentages. 
Wow, nice rundown, Brian. Thanks. Another guy in Florida, by the way, I'm going to say one more time. If Evgeny Dadanov is still a free agent in your league, then you could haven't been listening to our show very carefully. You should have added him. If you still can, please just pause the podcast and go do so. He's up to five points in four games, 10 shots. There was a quick spurt of like news that he had moved to line two in favor of Vervata at like the end of one game, but that didn't last. He's back on the top line. He's doing well. Like Just grab him. Go. Grab Dadanov. He's great. Okay, let's go to Tampa Bay now. Tampa, like I said, plays four times next week. Or maybe I didn't say that, but it's like only three teams do. Detroit, Vancouver, and Tampa Bay. So another team that you might want to look at for a streamer. If Nemesnikov and Braden Point are already taken, maybe take a look at Alex Killorn. He had a big four assist game versus Pittsburgh on Thursday, which helped bring him up to now he's at seven points in five games overall. He's not getting the greatest even strength deployment. He's on, I guess, the third line with Tyler Johnson and Chris Kunitz, but he's been on the top power play with Kucherov, Stamkos, Hedman, and Nemesnikov. So for a four-day week, you could do a lot worse than a top power play guy on Tampa and Alex Killorn. For sure. And you say he's playing on the third line with Tyler Johnson, like it's such a terrible thing. That's one of the better third lines out there. And if there is one that can produce, perhaps they can, if they're given enough ice time with which to work. But it is very exciting that he's on the top power play. While Cologne is up there, go for it. Okay, so one more hot streak, and then we'll do a couple cold streaks to end the show. I want to go to Winnipeg. Got to talk about Connor Hellebuck, who seems to have, at least for now, taken the starting goalie job. It didn't take too long, and it doesn't seem like it was too hard, considering how badly Steve Mason played in his couple of games. But at this point, Hellebuck has played three straight games, three straight wins, 937 save percentage on the season. I would definitely drop Mason for Hellebuck if you're making that decision. I won't even ask you about that. Because I don't even want to waste time. That's an obvious question. But what about some other goalies? Like, would you take Hellebuck over guys who have had decent starts to the year, like Varlamov and Jimmy Howard? Yeah, I would prefer Hellebuck on a better team and has competitive upside compared to both those options. And note that I said competitive upside. Not guaranteed to play better than them in terms of his own individual numbers, but he can compete with them. Yeah, and then like you say, I think Winnipeg could be a really good team if they just get the goaltending. So far, they're getting it from Hellebuck, and they've won three straight games. So we'll see if they and he can keep it up. couple cold streaks now, Brian. Let's talk about some bangers and mash categories. we got to bring up Radko Gudas. He's a specialist. People drafted him not for the points, but for his consistent hits and blocks. But somehow, in five games, he has, of course, no points, no big deal. But even worse, only five hits and only seven blocks. So just barely over a block per game and just a hit per game. What's changed? In Radko Gudas's game, he had 280 hits and 124 blocks in 67 games last year. So a crazy pace, making him worth owning even without the points. Should people cut bait on Radko Gudas at this point in their bangers and mash leagues? Or do you expect the hits and blocks to return soon? I'm going to admit this one has totally stumped me. I haven't seen enough game tape of Gudas this year. I haven't seen anyone else talking about it. It's something I'm going to look into. And if it's still a problem next week, Elon, I will have an answer ready for you. Okay, so for the listeners, if you drafted Gudas for those hits and blocks, let's give him one more week, and then we'll check in next week and see if you need to drop him or not. Yeah, my own advice not having any evidence to point to is just hang on and see what happens. I know he's playing a greater role on that D this year. or Like, his role has always been growing there. He's a much better defenseman. People kind of take him for a goon who just throws dirty hits and blocks a lot of shots, but he's actually one of their most capable defensive guys. So I expect him to be in a big role where he should be blocking shots and throwing hits. Give him some time to start doing it again. Okay, and then we talked about him before. A lot of concern about Brent Burns at this point. Only one assist in four games. He's got 18 shots, so that's pretty good in four games. But the points just aren't coming 
Is it obvious by low time now? Like we talked about maybe trading Petrangelo for Brent Burns. This is a guy who's probably picked in the top like three or four in most drafts. But at this point, he's doing nothing. People are concerned. Is there a legit reason to be concerned or is it just obvious by low time? By low time. No legit reason that's showing up for now. All of San Jose is having a hard time scoring. They've been one of the teams who it feels like their schedule has lagged behind everybody else. So you've tried to forgive any low scoring you've seen from their players, but they only have eight goals over four games. That is very poor, right? Two goals per game. Maybe they're really missing Patrick Marlowe. Maybe they should have acquired Scott Hartnell. But in any case, I'm not ringing any alarm bells yet. We'll see what they can put together over the next couple of weeks. Brent Burns still has another season of elite production to come based on what I know right now. Okay, well, yeah, we'll have to follow. But like you say, there's a lot of players on San Jose that are struggling, like Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton each only have one assist themselves. And like you said, the Sharks have only scored eight goals. Three of them have been scored by Kevin LeBanc, by the way. But I'm not going to get too excited about him if, like, Pavelski and Thornton and Brent Burns aren't producing. Are you concerned about any of these guys? Like, Thornton, I guess, even forget about because he's, like, even if he does really well, he's just going to give you assists and some power play points. But I don't think, I think, obviously, he's not the 80-point guy anymore. But Joe Pavelski is someone people drafted really high just like Brent Burns, not as high as Burns, but Pavelski owners are probably equally as concerned. Do you have the same answer for Pavelski as Brent Burns? Just wait it out. Yes. And I'll add one more cold streak, Elon, before we move on to our last player of the show, Robin Lehner. Not such a great start to the season. No wins, three losses, and an overtime loss. The other game, he has five games played. He came in in relief of Chad Johnson, stopped all nine shots in the third period, which is just fantastic. But his team percentage on the season, 900. One in every 10 shots is getting past him. This seems like a Sabres problem as much as it is a Robin Lehner problem. He might be someone you can pick up on the cheap. I know he was a target of mine in draft, and I'm not totally despondent about the Sabres' chances so far, although they probably do need to turn it around sooner rather than later. But Elon, I'm going to give you an example. In one of my shallower leagues, but goalies are pretty deep, actually. Someone dropped Laner for Semyon Varlamov. Do you approve? Yeah, I think I approve. Like, Buffalo is looking terrible, and Colorado's looking good. Varlamov's been good. Leonard's been bad. Like, it seems like an obvious move to make. It's not as if Robin Leonard was, like, a sure-shot great goalie going into the season. It's not like dropping Tuka Rask for, for Varlamov. I don't know. Tuka Rask has not been doing all that great himself, although he is on a better team. I don't know. I'm not ready to say because Colorado's been good for five games and Buffalo's been bad for five games, but that's where they're going to stay. I think if you're looking for wins, which my league is, I would still prefer Robin Lehner. Through the rest of the season, Robin Lehner outwins Semyon Varlamov. Maybe, but I think if both of those guys are available for you, I would drop Leonard for Varlamov right now. Like, obviously, if Varlamov is a free agent in your league, that must mean that people don't need a hot goalie right now. So I don't think people are going to be jumping on Robin Leonard if they didn't jump on Semyon Varlamov at this point. So I think it's a safe move to make. Okay, Brian, I, I've got one snoozer for you. I already said one before in Sabatka, but I've got another one for you. And for those of you who are new to keeping Carlson snoozer, that's our word for like not only a cold streak, it's like forget this guy. If you have him on your roster, that means you've been snoozing and not paying attention to what's been going on. Here's my snoozer for the week. It is Brendan Gallagher. 
Gallagher has been bumped from line one on Montreal. He was initially bumped for Lekkonen, and then apparently Lekkonen got bumped for Galchenyuk, which is kind of exciting. Right at the end of the last game, so we'll have to watch if Galchenyuk maybe gets back into the role of someone that you might want to add in fantasy. But let's focus on Gallagher. At this point, he's on line three, playing with Placanitz and Byron, or maybe line two. I don't know who even knows the Montreal lines. After the top line, they all don't look too great. But regardless, Brendan Gallagher is not doing anything. No points in his last three games. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's only a snoozer, Elon, because of how much you played him up before the season began. And to be fair, I was starting to buy in, but the experiment has gone on long enough. You can drop him without much risk. I'm going to throw in one more hot streak or interesting player as someone you might want to replace Brendan Gallagher with, Josh Hosang. After being scratched in the first game of the season, he has played four consecutive games. His ice time is rising and he has four points, all assists in those games Six shots. His ice time started 11 minutes. Then it went up to the high 13s. Then the low 13s. But his most recent game, 16 and a half minutes and getting plenty of power play time to boot. An interesting person to add who is likely available in your league. I would swap out Gallagher for Hosang for sure. Okay, thanks, Brian. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That takes us through our second regular season episode of the show. We hope you like it. Give us some feedback. Let us know. You can tweet at us, at Keith and Carlson. Also, we would, of course, very much appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. It's the start of the year. This is where we're trying to get some new listeners, people getting into fantasy hockey. So it would really help us out if you just go over to iTunes. You're already on the internet. Just click on over. Give us that five-star review. Write something nice. That would be really great. We'd really appreciate it. And if you really like the show, why not uh, throw Brian and I one beer a month? I guess we'll have to share it, or maybe we'll take turns getting that beer. But you can be a patron for like $5, help the show out. Plus, you get some really great perks, including a bonus show every single week. We had our mailbag show last Thursday, which was a lot of fun. Also, once a month, we do a monthly patron cast, which is like a really long mailbag show where we answer every question that comes in. So we also have some other perks for like $10 and $15, depending on... I think you're going to like them. Just check out the site keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We would, of course, appreciate that. But, of course, just having you here listening to the show, we love it, and we're having a good time, and we can't wait for next week and the rest of the fantasy season. Brian, I think that's it for my rambling, so why don't we cue that outro music, and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons and our sponsors, SeatGeek and FanDuel. Welcome to our newest patrons, Stephen R., Joe M., and Eric T. Very glad to have you with us. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always, Brian. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, who joined us live. You can catch us live again next week. I think it's 7 p.m. This one was 8 p.m., but I think we're going to go back to 7 p.m. next Sunday. So see you then. KeepingCarlson.com slash live. If you just check that link, you'll see when the show is. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson.